Welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diet, a podcast for those who live on a steady diet of movie, theater, popcorn, and other movie snacks such as MREs, meals ready to eat, popular in the military. As always, my name is Rick Williamson, your very best good movie buddy, and joining us as usual is our other good movie buddy, the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn. David, how you doing today? Happy Labor Day. Happy, or happy Veterans, Day. Veterans, Veterans Day. Day. Wrong, wrong, uh, wrong month. Wrong industry, wrong month. Yep, exactly. But, but appropriately, he odd, was ready to eat. Oddly and enough, the movie we saw. Oddly enough, of. yeah, like fits the whole fits the whole theme. Ties it in. We got Veterans Day. It's our Veterans Day episode. We're talking meals ready to eat, and the movie we're talking this week is. The J.J. Abrams produced Overlord, World War II action adventure war zombie horror genre mashup, um, which I just right off the bat loved, had an absolute blast with it. Uh, I've been thinking about it ever since that I saw it. Um, Really, really, really just jacked walking out of it, had a blast with it. But before we get into the film... um, I wanted to talk about the producer. I wanted to talk about J.J. Abrams. This is a good opportunity for us to talk about J.J. a little bit. I don't know that we've had a a J.J. directed film on the podcast since we've been doing this. He's been doing a lot of producing and and Star Wars. And so I think this came out just in between when he did Force Awakens. And now he's working on the other one. So we haven't had one directed by J.J. But he's been doing a ton of producing. He's been particularly with, I mean, let's just start it off with, with his whole Cloverfield project. Um, and that is where sort of JJ and his production company, Bad Robot, kind of set out to establish young up-and-coming filmmakers by giving them genre pictures. And when we say genre pictures, we're talking about sci-fi, horror, monster, action-type movies, high-concept stuff. Um and it started with the found footage movie Cloverfield that nobody knew what it was. It was just a trailer that came out where it was found footage and it was the Statue of Liberty's head getting thrown. And and everybody thought it was like an undercover Godzilla movie. Everybody thought it was all these things. But it turned out to be a wholly original creation that spun off into other films, spun off into 10 Cloverfield Lane. And then recently, this earlier this year with the Cloverfield Paradox, so I have a question for you, which is, are you you're on are you on board with Clo- the Clo- whole Cloverfield? I don't know what you want to call it, franchise, anthology franchise. Or, or, I, I'm on board with it. Are you on board with it? Yeah, I I mean I've I've really enjoyed all of them. I'll admit I haven't watched the Netflix one thus far. Oh, you haven't? Um, it's no, a, it was okay. It, it was on my list, but I still haven't uh, sat down and taken the time. But I did see the first two, um, enjoyed them both. Um, I thought it was something super original. So I think the thing I like about what he's done and what J.J. Abrams does, in addition to doing all these big blockbuster popcorn movies, uh, you can tell that J.J. really has a love for the industry as a whole and has a a love for giving other people an opportunity. Um, He produces a lot of different types of things. I know they all, these ones all feel kind of the the same kind of feel. Right. Um, But at the same time, he's not, you know, forcing his way into directing all of these. He's, um, you know, involved a lot of times in the script like that he was in this one. 
uh, or the story, I guess, more than more so than the script. Um, but I think he lets other people an opportunity, people that we haven't seen. And uh, that leads us to potentially getting some really great new directors and some different types of movies that we're not used to seeing. People always complain about how there's too many superhero movies and all these movies are just, you know, repurposed stories from before or remakes or right. redos or relaunches. And so what JJ's doing is are these completely original stories, which sure. to me is fantastic. Like even even the Cloverfield paradox, which which started even though it's tied into the overall Cloverfield mythology, like it's its own original sci-fi concept, and that was what was so interesting about these films is they start as completely original spec scripts, if you will, and they're just completely original, and then he finds a way to tie them into the overall Cloverfield mythos. Now, what's different about Overlord is that Overlord follows sort of the same. Um, I don't know. I don't want to say script, but it's it follows the sort of the same pattern of it's a genre movie. It's an original idea, even though it takes from plenty of other previous ideas. Um, but the biggest difference is that this one wasn't really shrouded in the same level of a mystery box, if you will. And that's sort of been the phrase coined by the the online film community, if you will, it might even be a phrase coined by J.J. Abrams himself. I haven't really, um, I haven't done research. Fully admit, I, I didn't do the research on the phrase. But one of J.J.'s big sort of gimmicks is the mystery box, and that is releasing ten, you know, the Cloverfield trailer without any notice, or with ten Cloverfield Lane, like they released the trailer two months before the film came out, like they have radio silence and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a new Cloverfield movie. Cloverfield Paradox, same thing. Like they announced the film on Super Bowl Sunday and then they released it Sunday night. Like it's never, they're trying new and different things. And I'm curious as to if you think that the mystery box for JJ is a little, is it, is it too much of a gimmick? I mean, the same thing with Super 8. You know, they really held a lot of stuff close to the vest when it comes to Super 8 as well. Uh, do you think it's too much? Uh, do you think it's it's not enough? And then we'll talk about Overlord and how it really goes contrary to what he typically does here. Well, I think for people like me, I enjoy it because I don't like to find out the spoilers anyways. Sure. Uh, people like you <laughs> may have a different opinion. But I think it's something refreshing. I mean, we're so used to getting 1900 trailers and seeing it played every single football game or things sure. like that with every movie that's coming out sure. and just being beaten to death by trailers and having all these movie sites posting what they think is going to happen and all these. So it's to me, it's nice to not have all this buildup. I feel like we get almost tired of certain movies before they even come out because of how interesting heavy they're marketed at yeah. times like there's some comedies that like i'm worried about going and seeing because i've seen their trailer like the best parts 4500 times and i'm worried that if those are the best parts like this movie's gonna suck right and i think it's we've seen that happen in certain ones like you and i both say we may need to go back and watch the house because you know when we saw it we thought it was not good at all right but a lot of people say it's an underrated funny movie yeah um that i've seen it and so Part of me thinks that sometimes you're affected by just having been over marketed to. And if it doesn't 
completely deliver like over the top and there aren't those surprises, then you feel like I already knew everything from this. Right. And so I I like I personally like it, but I'm also someone who likes not knowing what's going to be in front of me going sure. into the movie. And and as somebody who enjoys enjoys spoilers, I, I'll go out and say that I love it. Like I love the idea that a film can be made in secret, be there's nobody knows about it. And then suddenly there's a trailer and it's coming out in two months. And the fact that J.J. can still get away with that kind of stuff is exciting because I'm so used to Avengers set pictures and Avengers, you know, promo art leaked and stuff like that. And and even though people are getting pretty good at picking out what J.J.'s plan is, like, for example, with the Cloverfield Paradox, Everybody knew that J.J. Abrams was producing this movie called God Particle, and it was about, you know, black hole travel in space and something like that. And everybody was like, that's going to be a Cloverfield movie, like for sure. And it turned out it was with this. Almost the same thing happened with Overlord. It was a World War II experimental sci-fi horror film. And everyone was like, that's going to be another Cloverfield. But then J.J. and director Julius Avery came out and adamantly said, this is not a Cloverfield film. And people, you know, had their doubts. They released the one trailer, to which was is a, an excellent trailer to Hell's Bells. And that was it. And, and they really, and, and I don't know how well the movie, I think the movie, by the time this comes out, I think we'll have found out how well it's doing. It's projected to get around 9 million. Actually, it's up a little bit. It's closer to about 10, 10 and a half. Good, good, as it should be. Because um, this movie kicks ass, all kinds of ass. And I am 100% on board if J.J. wants to keep producing movies like this, even if it's outside of the quote-unquote Cloverfield brand, if you will. Um, it's awesome where he pulls, he pulls in talent. He, he came up with this idea with screenwriter Billy Ray, uh, who has written a, who number one, it's Billy Ray as a, as a name is always the funniest thing in the world (laughs) to me because, um, it's, it's Billy Ray. Like that, it just sounds like a weird name. Um, but Billy Ray's done a lot of genre stuff. Like he did Volcano. He did, um, the Hunger Games. He wrote this. He's writing Terminator 6. Like he's done a lot of stuff. And they came up with this, with this film and they pulled Julius Avery, who's an Australian director who directed a crime drama called, uh, Son of a Gun with Ewan McGregor. And gave him a mid a mid budget thirty eight million dollars, and just had him have fun with it. And and going into the spoiler free conversation, just to kind of talk about you know how much we liked the film. I loved this movie very much. This movie was a a big time throwback to me in a lot of like the old eighties style. Like this feels like a movie that was made in the eighties. It feels like a movie that you watch as a double feature with the thing. And not because that there's two Russells in each movie. Um, I loved how the film doesn't get to the crazy shit until about 30, 35 minutes in. And up until that point, it's just a really solidly made war film. I love that. I, I love all of that. I love the performances. I'm big into that. How did you like the film overall? Yeah. Well, I saw it late last you night. You did see so it I'm, late. I'm like 12 hours off of seeing it almost. Um, it's fresh. It's very fresh. I think the two things as I sat 
driving home from it that I was like that popped out to me first and foremost was one. I think a lot of times when you get these zombie esque thriller, whatever you want to call it, sure. post apocalyptic, whatever, and this one's not post apocalyptic, obviously because it's set in World in, War Two. World War Two, but. Um, when you get these kind of movies that have the zombies, that have the thriller, that have the gore and over the top, a lot of times, whatever they're trying to mimic, as far as like the setting that they're trying to mimic, usually it's like a, a B level production of that. So like if they're trying to do like a, not, not a sports movie, but anyways, usually like if you have a war setting, the war stuff is usually lacking because sure. that's not what they're worried about. They're worried about creating these really good-looking zombies and and scaring you sure, and all those types of things. Sure, there's a particular focus when you have a limited budget. It's like, okay, what matters? Yeah, it's not you, the usually, performances. you usually feel the lacking in other areas. Right. And in this movie, the first thing that I thought of when I walked away was I thought they did war really, really well. Yeah. Like... Whether it be the opening scene that you see in the trailers, you see abbreviated version of it, obviously, uh-huh. in the trailers, but where they're flying in on the plane to into enemy territory, like that in scene is scene is tense. That's, like what you get right out the bat is intense. Yeah. And, and it's we've done seen really it. well. And we've seen it tons of times. We've seen paratroopers dropping into Normandy. We've seen World War II action sequences done. And this one feels both familiar yet different. I think what what I think it's a great point, and I think what makes it interesting is that it approaches the war scenes and sequences still as a quote unquote horror film. Even though I don't consider this film to be scary at all, I would say that this is a war slash horror film. Yeah, right? I I would call it more. You know, there's some horror movies where you're cringing because things are gross. Sure. You're jumping because things are scary. Sure. Like there's, you know, a lot of blood and gore and those types of things. This, I feel, is more like it's jumpy. You do have some gory scenes yeah. in here. Like, let's not deny that. <laughs> oh, no. Um, plenty of But it's, it doesn't feel like it's done just for gore's sake. Like a lot of times, like horror movies, you feel like they're looking for every opportunity that they can do to splash blood on the camera. Sure. And you know, go over the top with it. And I didn't feel that at any point because I'm not a huge fan of the horror genre. I know. Um, and in this film, as I watched it, I didn't feel like they were just doing it to do it. Like obviously in war, there's a lot of blood. So right. like, I didn't feel like they went over the top with that either. There's sometimes where it's like someone gets shot and it's like a whole bucket of blood comes off of them. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, that's not realistic. <laughs> um, right, right, like, right. Was that an exploding bullet or something? Um, but it all felt really well done in the war. Like I felt like even if you would have just made this a story, like if you wouldn't have had that trippy stuff that happens that we've seen in the trailer of, you know, the zombie aspect of it. Right. This still could have been a really good, like you could have had them just rescuing someone and blowing up, you could have just tower. had them blowing up the radio and tower. And I still would have enjoyed the movie. It would have been a different movie. Yeah. But I still would have thought it was a really good war movie. Absolutely. You could still take this film, which is essentially four guys trying to take out this radio tower before D-Day and, like, and make a solid war film. And it treats a lot of the war violence 
with, with again it's not super over the top like there's a character that gets shot and his death scene is very similar to Giovanni Ribisi's death scene in Saving Private Ryan same type of like bleeding out of the chest same not 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 super over the top but also still fairly like bloody um yeah. and then same thing there's a landmine scene that just hits you boom landmine and and it's it's played up for shock value sure and to and to really grab you but it doesn't it doesn't go crazy right. um i think another one of my and and again we're not talking about the zombie stuff we'll talk about the zombie stuff more in spoilers i think i think that's better for it but i i think another thing that makes this film succeed is that the characters and the performances even though they're your your typical like war film archetypes they're all great mm-hmm. like they're all great in it um uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Jovan Adepo is Boyce. He's the main character, and he's the guy who starts the film as like really, oh, you're barely a soldier, like you're super incapable, you know. And he has a whole arc in the film. And same thing with Wyatt Russell, who is so good in this movie. He's he great. is so much like his dad in this. He's full blown Kurt Russell in this movie as 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 Corporal Ford. Um, who is this hard nosed like mission first? He's got some great one liners. Um, I would then, also I would also uh, like to call him from a look standpoint, and I don't know if it was just me. Yeah, I feel like he's a poor man, Jason Clark. Like, he is kind he looks, of. He's got a lot of looks that are similar to Jason. He's Clark. got a lot of similar Kurt Russell, Jason Clark esqueness in there with yep. him. Uh, John Magaro, who's was one of the young guys from. Um, uh, the Big Short, one of our favorite movies. Yep. Uh, one of the young guys working with Brad Pitt. He's Tippett. He's the the fast talker. He's like, I got no time for this. I'm gonna kill Hitler, no problem. And they all fit the roles, but they're so good at it. You know, Chloe, uh, Matilda Olivier as Chloe, the French civilian. They're all so so good at it, and they really fill these roles really well. And I think that that's another important thing because, as you said. Most other movies with a small budget that are going to make a war zombie movie, they're not going to devote time to getting together a good cast and actually write out good characters. They're not going to devote time to making legitimate war seem legitimate war. They're going to focus all of it on the gore and on the creature effects, and that's what people are here to see. But this movie does a really good job of dividing up its assets, and I think that strengthens the movie overall. Um, This... And correct me if I'm wrong, but this seemed like a lot of foreigners for the casting. Like I don't know whether it actually was two Americans. Obviously, Wyatt Russell is American, but yep. and John Magaro's uh, American. Yep, but everybody else seemed potentially like they're they're foreign. I don't know if they are, but they seemed like it was a lot of foreign actors. And that's the other thing that I think is cool about J.J. Abrams is it seems like he doesn't use your traditional cast types. Like True. if you go back through his movies. Um, even if you go to his Star Wars movies, um, he's he, not using like your standard names. Like no. he's not using your easy names. Like obviously in Star Wars, he had to use some of the sure. the the common ones. But um, you think of Super Eight, like who Kyle, na- name name the people in there? Kyle Chandler, exactly. Like, but again, really great. Yeah, really strong. They're still good. Right. I mean, that's the thing that I think sometimes is a misconception and and why I don't think J.J. Abrams movies and, and even this movie will get an, as much credit or as much box office is that people sometimes feel like 
you have to have like it, it can't be a good movie if you don't have a big name because sure. they're obviously not as good of an actor. Like sure. I would argue that a lot of the people in this movie did a better job than what some then, big name actors that you would have put in this film. 100 percent. I mean, even the biggest name in this film is Bakeem Woodbine. Who is admittedly awesome. Like, he was in Fargo season two. He was amazing. He was in Spider-Man Homecoming. He was really good in his small role here. And he's sort of like the big name in this movie. Um, It's just really strong actors doing really strong work. Um, I don't think it's a very scary film, but it is certainly very bloody. Really enjoyed that. Some genuinely, I think, and here's the thing. When I say the word iconic, I just mean like if, if... if somebody were to do like a montage on YouTube of like gnarly sci-fi monster movies, there's at least two or three moments in this film that would make it into that mashup. I think one of the most common, and this is not a spoiler, but one of the most common images of the film is the guy with half his face blown off grinning like a psychotic lunatic. Mm -hmm. That is just such a gnarly image is him just smiling with his face blown off. It's so good. It plays so well. And 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 that is um uh uh the one of the Greyjoys, the psychotic Uncle Greyjoy yeah. from uh from Game of Thrones yep. who P- P- Pilu Asbeck, I'm butchering his name, but he's the head Nazi. He nails it. He was great. The the cre- he's such a creep, uh, as Game of Thrones would, would lead you to would lead you to believe. Um, there's so much good work in here, and the the gore effects are great. The characters are great. Ultimately, I mean, there's it doesn't it's not a it's not a serious film. Like everything has been done before. Like a woman wielding a blowtorch. Sure, it's been done before. Nazi zombies. Sure, it's been done before. And it doesn't have a large amount of things to say, but it does all of those things pretty damn well. Mm-hmm. For a second time director and a thirty-eight million dollar budget, I think they put together a really gnarly piece of filmmaking. I'm probably gonna buy this movie. I really like this movie a lot. Yeah. Um, so let's let's give it the popcorn rating um, before we get into spoilers. For those of you who don't remember, or for if you're listening for the first time, we rate our movies a little bit differently. We rate our movies on a level of popcorn. Burnt popcorn means don't go see it. It's garbage. Don't waste your time. Stale popcorn means eh, do, do whatever you want. We weren't big fans of it, but but you might like it, and it is what it is. Microwave popcorn means, hey, it's perfectly fine. It's accessible. It won't make you angry. Everybody likes a little bit of microwave popcorn. If you want to go see it in the theater, great. If you want to rent it, fine. Movie theater popcorn means you should go see this movie in the theaters. And perfect popcorn means go see this movie ASAP as soon as possible. And I think this really falls firmly in the movie theater popcorn for me. It's not a gigantic film. It's not a world-changing film. Like I said, it's got a lot of things that we've seen similarly in other films. But it's solid all around. So I'm going to give it movie theater popcorn. I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to give it perfect popcorn. Oh, I love that. So... The reason for it is, and I've and we've talked about this a little bit at times before. I'm giving it perfect popcorn because I can't. There's nothing I can complain about with this movie. Sure. Like as I look through it, like it hit on all the marks of a movie like this. Sure. Again, as we've talked about, certain movies are never going to be Oscar movies. You know, they're right. they're not trying to be that, and I don't think this movie was trying to be that. No. But it was just really good at what it was as a mashup genre, as a 
Uh, we talked about how great it was at depicting the war scenes in this film. Right. The characters were memorable. Like I enjoyed, there wasn't a character that fell flat for me in this film where I was like, they just, just don't match up. Sure. Um, if there was anyone, it was maybe, uh, the photographer, Chase, um, but even Chase. then he gets a good like. Yeah, his his ending is awesome. you know what happens to him is 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 fantastic and it works really well because he's kind of that flat character. Exactly, what happens to him works. Exactly. So I I just honestly don't have anything I'd really complain. Like you're not going to these movies looking for like crazy fight scenes and crazy special effects and sure. those types. Of and things. you're not like, going to expect an Oscar film. Yeah. So to me, I don't. If I can't think of anything to complain about with the movie, then it's perfect popcorn. It's perfect popcorn. I totally so understand it. I, I think it's one that if you like this genre, especially if you're just a fan of movies, yeah, I think it's something that you definitely need to go see in the theater um, and see it sooner than later. I think it's... it's Support small original films. Yes. Small original films produced by J.J. Abrams. Relatively small. This movie only costs $38 million. Like, and it's an original script. Support these types of films, right? That's awesome. I love it. I'm, I, I, I can't argue with that one bit. Uh, before we get into spoilers, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to this podcast for free wherever you're listening to us by hitting that subscribe button on your smartphone device, wherever, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, wherever you are, hit that subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating. Share with your friends. Share with your family. We want to build that popcorn diet community of good movie buddies. And speaking of that community, we also want you to follow, to follow us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and then last but certainly not least we have our overlord review up as well as all of our latest episodes articles and reviews on our website popcorndietpodcast.com but i wanted to get a little bit into spoilers david in terms of just talking about some of the best parts of the film and i kind of wanted it you know i kind of wanted to talk about it kind of in three respects if you will I wanted to talk about it basically from a, a war film standpoint. Like, what did we think about the war sequences? We already alluded to one of them. I wanted to get those in a little bit more detail. What did we think about the, the monster gore action? And then I really wanted to focus on the character arcs of the film. I really wanted to focus on basically the three main characters. And I just wanted to recognize their arcs in the film as just good writing, you know, like, and I think that that should be celebrated. Um, so let's go back and let's talk about the the war sequences in the film. You already alluded to the opening paratrooper jump sequence. It's really good, and well, it's violent, and it's it's scary, and it's intense. Yeah, well, and I think the really good war movies to me do a really good sense of creating just that tension of. Any of these people could die at absolutely any second. Right. And obviously, you know, going into a movie, certain characters are going to make it because you've seen them in the trailers and sure. you know they're a big part of this movie. But there's a lot of characters that aren't. And from the moment that you're on that plane and you start and they wake up after that little break from the initial talking back and forth mm -hmm. um, on the plane and bullets start coming into the plane and things start having explosions and all that kind of stuff. Um, all of that plays up really well and leads into the tension. And once they're on the ground, you have that relaxing point for just a brief standpoint a when uh, Boyce is getting out of the water and he's laying there. And then all of a sudden shots go right over his head. Yeah. 
and were immediately snapped into like just that fear of like anything could come from anywhere. Like I'm we in don't enemy. we we don't know where the enemies are. They're everywhere. An enemy could come from anywhere. I could get hit by a freaking random missile that or you know <laughs> explosion. Yeah, yeah. I could step on a landmine. You know right. whatever it be, and it in- immediately puts you into that tension of especially when they're out in the open of anything could come from anywhere. And so I think they do a really good job in that. Then you get into kind of your traditional, it feels like every war movie has that scene where they get into like some kind of town Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing that's Mm -hmm. occupied. And so there are some familiar feelings in there, but again, I'm not going to come out and say this is like saving private Ryan or Dunkirk or any of those types of things. But at the same time, I don't think for what it was doing, and for the role that war plays in this film, I don't think it was lacking in any way. And it was definitely created that that tension that you want. Right. This. And I think it really helped that they approached it with the idea of like we're making a horror film because they make those things really scary. And it's all about putting you in the center of war, like you said. So even when, you know, Bakim Woodbine is killed, um, they make it creepier than what I remember most war movies being, you know, where he's surrounded by the Nazis and they're just kind of indiscriminate like people and they just kill him. Or when Dawson, who you think is going to be part of the crew, who's played by Grey Worm from Game of Thrones another Game of Thrones alum in here. And he's, oh, Dawson, I'm going to write a book. Steps on a landmine. Fucking boom. Gone. And that plays into... Like you said, A, anybody could die at any moment, but B, like the surprise of war and whatnot, like all of that. I really like that. And then things start getting weird. And then we start seeing those sacks, like when when Boyce makes his way accidentally into the heart of the, the compound under the church. And there's a fucking severed head that is talking to him, like which I feel like nobody has talked about. Like there's a moment where there's a woman like asking him to help him and he pulls the curtain open and it's a severed head and a spinal column on spikes like talking to him. Um, and, you know, the, the whole rescuing of Rosenfeld and pulling that gnarly thing out of his side all the way up to the point of where Chase is shot and... Uh, they inject him with the juice. And I thought that scene was so good where he just wakes up. He's man, I'm thirsty, crushes the can. And it just starts slowly escalating because Chase has been established as a, he's a war photographer. He's not a fighter. He's he not an aggressive there. guy. He doesn't yeah. belong there. And then he starts getting more and more aggressive and it's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh sh- oh shit, oh shit, <laughs> to the point of where he, when he, his neck bends back and he's got bones sticking out. Yeah. It's so good, and the effects are good, and everything about it is so so. I loved all of the creature effects. Um, how did you like that stuff? Because you, being not a fan of a horror film, a horror genre. Uh, to me, this is just an action adventure movie with horror elements. Yeah, and and this is more the type of movie I like. I don't like when it's like, like because you could easily in some of these scenes had like, you know, them shoot an arm off and an arm land on someone or right. like those types of things that we usually get that like just add to like kind of the gore of this. But it kind of feels like we're doing gore just to tell you that this is a horror movie. Sure. Um, this it didn't feel like that. Like there are some crazy bloody scenes like. Um, but they're effective. Boyce, you know, ends up beating his face into the ground. Yep. But it's not like 
they focus on all the blood that's all over his face. Like you see that there's blood on his face, but like a lot of times, like you'll get that really big close up on his face of like blood just splashing sure. on him. And they didn't do that, even though that stuff still happened. They didn't focus on the gore as much as made it a very much a part of this story. They were efficient with it. Yeah. Right. They, um, they like, I mean, we've mentioned a severed head. We've mentioned, a t- oh, let's walk back, a talking severed head. We've mentioned guys getting shot up, guys getting blown up. We've mentioned Chase, who, the whole neck back breaking thing, mm-hmm. so good. We mentioned um, Waffner, who gets his face blown off. Not to mention the psycho zombie. With I was going to say, what did you think of that one? <laughs> the, the, the psycho zombie? Yeah. I loved it. I loved- It reminded me of something. He looked very similar to some other it reminded like, me similar of, monster that we've had, but I can't put my finger on it. And I couldn't even. I mean, what am I going to look rem- up? Like it reminded me of the Blade Two vampires. That's who okay. it reminded me of. Not when they open their mouths or anything like that, but just their general like running around, the bald head, the mutated face. Yeah, there's there's. Something I loved else. his like jagged br- like sh- sh- broken arm. Like he didn't have a hand. It was just this jagged stump. I yep. love that stuff, but it's efficient. Yep. They have those things, but they're spread out and they're effective. Um, and I love that. Yeah. I loved. And then, so let, I mean, let's wrap it up with the characters, the character arcs of this film. We're going to keep this episode lean and mean, just like the movie. But the thing that I like most about this film, other than all of the stuff that we've already talked about, is that it has three lead characters with distinct arcs. And it even, I mean, even if you go so far as to look at Tippett, who's a side character, he has a major arc in the film oh, yeah. too, you know? And it's simple as, oh, he's a prick, and then he's not a prick, you know? Mm-hmm. But, like, you look at Boyce, right? And Boyce starts the film, he's nervous in the airplane, everybody's busting his balls, oh, you barely made it through basic training, you couldn't kill a mouse. And then he slowly becomes more assertive, he becomes more capable mm-hmm. by the end of the or by the the start of the third act. He's getting in Ford's face who he's been intimidated by Ford the entire film. And he's telling him, like, listen, we have to do this. He's talking Ford into doing this right thing. And I just appreciated that. You know, it's not anything major. It's not anything that world changing that we haven't seen before. But I appreciated the way that that arc unfolded. Um, well, and I would say that as you mentioned, it's not that any of these characters or certain aspects of the story aren't things that we haven't seen. We've seen a Boyce arc before, right? but it's the way that it's incorporated and the way that the thing is, is at this point we've seen pretty much every character arc definitely out there. Every story has been told. Yeah. So it's how you do it and how well you execute it. And I think they did a good job. Exactly. Um, Same with Chloe. And, and and I say that I think of Ford, 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 there's this shrouded mystery of like, He's this dude that killed his uh, killed his SO. He came uh, from this other company. <laughs> Nobody knows. Who. He's about the mission. He's, he's he's this munitions expert. You know, he's just you don't know whether you know you don't know anything about him. He just seems cold from the start. And even as you see him um, develop, when he gets talked into going along with Boyce's plan mm-hmm. and going underneath, which is obviously as he mentions the chances of them getting out decreases greatly by going into it and doing it that way. And even at the end, when you see him basically sacrifice himself um, to get Boyce out of there as well as to keep 
all this stuff that these zombies basically from getting out into the open and this right. knowledge of getting out in the open. Um, you see him come along from this selfish character into it. And again, it's not something we haven't seen. It, sure. it, he just does a really good job at it and uh, it's enjoyable. And then you get Chloe. Um, Who's the villager, you know, the the, the oppressed villager yep. who becomes less oppressed, you know, by the end of the film, she's hauling a flamethrower. She's going in and helping people out. But it's the subtleties, too. You know how Chloe is literally she's like, I'm looking out for my aunt and my brother and that's all I care about. And then even at the third act when they're going in, like we're going in for her brother, when she gets her brother, she's like, I'm out of here. But sh- she decides to go back. Yeah. You know, or Ford at the beginning of the film, they talk about how the Nazis are so terrible and we got to be terrible to beat them. Ford's sacrifice is the completion of that arc is like nobody deserves this. Like we need to be better at this. You know, we can't be as terrible as them. Mm -hmm. This is too terrible. Um, And again, a shout out to Wyatt Russell. He like. He just gets some, he's a badass, this whole movie. He's literally like, if Kurt Russell were 32 again, he would, he reminded me of Kurt Russell in The Thing a little bit. Okay. Um, a little bit darker. I can see that. A little darker. But he's got a couple of lines near the end when he's fighting Waffner and he shoots himself up with the juice. Like, all of that is great. The Waffner with his face, like, slowly healing. So it becomes a digital effect. Or it was a digital effect at first to show the face being blown off. Again, him smiling with his face blown off is still such a great image. Mm -hmm. But then going to the makeup, hanging forward on the hook. And then Ford injecting himself and them fighting. And and Waffner's just like, how does it feel to have the blood of eternity flow through you? And he's just like, not fucking great or something (laughs) like that. Where it's just like, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Or when he has the lighter at the end, he's like, it really is a nice lighter. I'm done with it or whatever he says before blowing everybody up. Like, that's that's what I'm looking for is I'm looking for gnarly action. I'm looking for the decent characters like this movie reminds me of the thing, even though it is way not like the thing. Sure. It doesn't have that creeping sense of dread that the thing does. It's way more aggressive. Yeah. But the characters and the and the gore and the action, it reminds me very much of like it's very much in the same vein as the thing. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I did feel like if I was to think back on it that I didn't. The thing is, I didn't care too much be- sure. knowing the type of movie that we're in. But the thing that maybe wasn't explained as much was what was making these zombies. Um, it's true. You briefly get the explanation of like these French people were living on top of it all these years, but didn't know Some how to primordial use it. Primordial power. And, and didn't know that they needed to mix it with their own blood. And right. like this kind of weird, like, okay, so it's like what's in the ground mixed with like French blood yeah. that like makes this like super serum. What almost. is it? Like, um, and they get away with it with some like vague, like it's, it's the blood of but, eternity. Like they say the, shit like that. But at the same time, like who cares? Like, right. In this type of film, who cares? Like you, you, you accept that whatever this is obviously isn't realistic. Right. Like we're not here for realistic. <laughs> So who cares where this came from, from that standpoint? Like, we know the effect that it has. We got to see the effect right up and close and personal in when Chase gets yeah, it. Yeah, we do. And you saw it a little bit. Um, 
in the lab when he uh, rescues um, Rosenfeld. Rosenfeld. Mm-hmm. And so you saw enough of the background to know what this does, which right. I think is the important part. It's bad. I don't in in a movie that's like this. I don't necessarily need to have the origins. Like I would rather to have more of what we got than a bunch more into like the origins. I mean, the I mean, look at J.J. Abrams' Mission Impossible Three, the Rabbit's Foot. What is the rabbit's foot? Nobody knows. It's bad. Like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, JJ's, I think JJ has always believed, like, it's not the thing that matters. It's the effects of it, you yeah. know? Well, and, even the Cloverfield movies, like, I don't think we ever really got explanation of how those things got there no, and it's just why is. they were there. Like, they just are there and we're dealing is. with it. Exactly. I will say one last thing before we wrap it up. And that, and it's a small, I mean, it le- I think it leaves it open for sequels, even though they blow everything open. They blow everything to hell and they tell, Boyce tells his superior officer like there wasn't anything under there. The whole reason they blew it up is so that nobody could find it, right? Mm-hmm. But... Chloe's aunt, mutated as fuck, just got shot in the upper room of that house. Sure. Chase, mutated all to hell, just got his face bashed in, but he still got bones and stuff. He still got the serum in him. He's still up in that basement, too. So there's still there's still elements out there. And whether that's a plot hole or whether that's purposefully, we're just not going to talk about it. I just I thought it was interesting where yeah. it's still there's still enough out in the village to where if they did enough searching, they can find some shit. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't expect a, uh, sequel to this. No, if, if I doesn't if, need one, if there was anything to it, I could see them doing more like what they've done with Cloverfield where sure. it's like, it's in the same world, but yeah. it's not, but a it doesn't sequel. need one. We it's don't got, have the same it's got all the good stuff in it. Yep. It's got, I mean, even the last fight feels like a, I mean, it's between two superpowered characters, except their superpowers are they're turning into evil zombie people. Yeah. So somebody I read online, somebody said it's the best rated R Captain America origin story ever (laughs) or something like that. And somebody else said that it's a Nick Fury origin story that voices Nick Fury or whatever. So it's it's rad as hell. Ultimately, it's rad as hell. Definitely go check it out. If you're if you if you can deal with blood and gory stuff, if you're fine with that. Go check it out. It's not scary. It's really awesome. We really liked it. Um, But that is going to do it for this episode of the Popcorn Diet. Before we wrap it up, as always, do us a favor. Hit that subscribe button. Get this podcast sent to your smartphone or wherever you're listening for free every week. Like us, rate us, share us with your friends. Follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, at The Popcorn Diet. And then go to our website for all of our latest reviews, articles, and episodes. At the popcorn at popcorndietpodcast.com. But for the Canadian machine, Mr. David Melhorn, I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we will see you next time with another good movie on the popcorn diets. Adios.